Welcome to episode one of the Junk Food Podcast. My name is Jack, and I'm here because the world of food is really messed up, and I've been on a journey for the past two years, and I wanna continue devoting my life to helping change that. I don't necessarily want this podcast to be all about me, but I feel like I should introduce myself a little further in this episode. I'm a 25-year-old that's currently living in Denver. I recently started an olive oil brand, and before that was on Wall Street for two years. Before that, went to an undergraduate business school, and before that really was just on this path ever since I was a really young kid and doing well at school, going to a good college, getting a good job, and living a successful life through that. Unfortunately, or fortunately, I guess, my path has diverged. And something that I wish I did in college when the stakes could not have been lower what I'm actually doing right now is doing what uh, someone on Twitter named Nick Huber would definitely recommend against. It's following your passion and looking to make your career out of it. I've wanted to create a podcast for a really long time. I never knew how to get started. I actually tried planning this episode several times over and just could never get it done. So I'm sort of freewheeling this, sort of having a rough outline of how I want to do it. But I feel over time, as I keep speaking and doing episodes, eventually a natural structure will come out and also getting feedback from listeners about what they like and what they don't like, I'll include those in future episodes. But I've always had a tremendous passion for food. It has been a sense of security for my level of social insecurity at times. Whenever I travel, I feel like it's the way I could get closest to the people that I'm interacting with. So if I'm in the Caribbean, I wanna eat some of their local cuisine. Like I'll be the guy at the beach that gets the coconut. This might not be so authentic, but I was always sold in the coconut up because I wanted to interact with those people and I wanted to taste what they're providing to the tourist, who is me. I don't want to have the strawberry daiquiri. I'd rather the coconut water out of the coconut. That's my personality. I felt like it was a way that I could interact with these people that barely even know English. Give them $3, get some coconut water straight from the tree that's 100 feet away. I feel really good about that. And I know in our society, especially where I grew up, there were no farms around. You have local farm stands, you have farmer's markets, but like as a young kid, especially when you're like 10, 15 years old, if your parents aren't going to farmer's markets, it's an activity you don't really do with friends. That's something that happens more when you're like 22 out of college living in New York City, seeing the Union Square Market is trending on TikTok. You go to Union Square Market, post a picture on Instagram and feel good about yourself. But that's just not the reality for a lot of people. And even when you're at those markets a lot of the time, you're getting finished products. Like you'll be getting a tomato sauce. You're not actually speaking to the farmer or really getting a sense of what that farm is. The farm doesn't really have any impact on your life outside of that time. The whole farmer's market thing, I've always been obsessed with, but there's something off about it. I went to University of Virginia. I think every Saturday I went to the Charlottesville farmer's market and I loved it. I actually did, never really bought much. I usually just bought the kombucha, but I like talking to the people and kind of hearing their stories. But even still, they had a very small impact in that little point of time, but my life wasn't necessarily dependent on it. Or my community that I was surrounded by at UVA never cared about that. And I really wasn't trying to bring people to that world. So that was my relationship with the farmer's market, but it pales in comparison to what I did last year when starting the olive oil brand. And I'm going to keep referencing starting this olive oil brand, not because I'm necessarily proud of it, just because I learned a lot about what goes on behind the scenes at an ordinary food company. It's a similar thing in wine. I feel like the reason why I love olive oil is probably why a lot of people love wine. 
Once you get to know the growers of the grapes or the growers of the olives and the amount of effort that goes into creating such a good product, you just really can't look back. And what I've just learned is no matter if it's olive oil, dark chocolate, pistachios, bananas, there are farmers from around the world of all different socioeconomic levels, whether they're living in poverty and literally trying to make any single cent possible, or they have a ton of money, a huge manufacturing facility, a full thing of labor, an amazing brand, everyone wants to make a good product. Sometimes the good to them is creating a quality product by making the best olive oil possible. And sometimes it's making as much oil as humanly possible. For at least olive oil, there's a quantity quality trade-off. The more oil that comes out of the olive, the worse the quality the oil will be. But farmers are always optimizing for something. But these messages, you know, I could keep going down this rabbit hole. I don't even remember why I got to this point. But the point is there's so much that just goes on behind the scenes that completely gets disregarded. Even shopping through Costco yesterday, like I realized that even me as a shopper, I'll get hooked by the best brands. Like I'm looking for something convenient and easy and good enough quality. They'll provide that to me and I'll buy it. End of story. And I think that's what drives the world of food today. However, I have different levels of products and there are certain products for me that I care so much about how it tastes. Olive oil, of course, for example, has turned into that. Dark chocolate I've been eating probably since I've been sixth grade every single night. And it used to just be Ghirardelli for years. And then I started exploring different chocolates and I have found myself to now be a chocolate snob. I do eat Trader Joe's chocolate. I'll eat not as high quality dark chocolates, but I really want a good product. And this also extends to different fruits. When I go and travel to different countries, even when I had pomegranates in Greece and figs in Greece, it's a different tasting pomegranate than what you receive here. It looks different, it's smaller, much sweeter, and much more reliable of a flavor. It's just a matter of how supply chain works. You're getting those pomegranates from an hour away and you're getting sold to the local market versus being genetically modified, mass-produced product that gets shipped all around the world. It's a different type of product. So I just think it's so important for people to have this relationship with food that I have with dark chocolate or with olive oil. It could be one thing, it could be 20 things, it could even be a candy. And this is kind of why the whole junk food title comes about. I want people to understand, for me, it's healthy foods, but that's not right for everyone. Some people, it's Diet Coke, and they want the best possible soda they could get. Maybe Poppy is the answer for them. Maybe Olipop, maybe it's Pepsi. I'm not sure. But we need to have more conscientious relationships with the food we consume. In the United States, right now, obesity is only going up. And it makes sense. I did it last night. I went on DoorDash. They gave me a promo. I ordered $50 worth of groceries in five minutes. Never had to get, get off, off my chair. And it just came to me. Fortunately for me, like... I know that I'm a physically active person. I bought mostly healthy foods, but it also enables the average person in the world to get whatever they want, whenever they want, as long as they have the money to do so. And typically they will have the money to get the food that they want, whether it's groceries or if they're not buying groceries, going to essentially unlimited fast food or casual food joints that exist. And another element is the cheapest food oftentimes isn't necessarily so good for you. So if you're going to McDonald's and you want something cheap, you're probably not gonna be getting the organic Brussels sprouts that I bought from Costco yesterday. You're getting a mass-produced chicken nugget that is designed for you to keep eating the same thing. I don't know where I'm going with that, but look, I'm not a chef. I'm not a food science major. 
I literally like food and I started an olive oil brand and I just spent 2022 in the fall. I mean, I went to five different countries. I, I mean, I went to California, spoke to producers there, went to Spain producers there. Italy producers there, Israel producers there, and Greece producers there. I have a lot of experience just talking to people and seeing what goes on behind the scenes, eating dinner with the people that make the oil, staying in these people's houses. I just got a really close experience that I think I, I just want to bring that to society. There's no qualification. Like if I'm talking about the way a food tastes, I'm not a professional chef. I'm literally a prep cook at an Asian restaurant, 15 minute walk from here. That's like the lowest possible position you could have that's above dishwasher. I'm there. And I just bypassed dishwasher because they didn't need a dishwasher. They needed a prep cook. So I, I'm a prep cook. I have no qualifications at all. But that doesn't mean I don't have a passion. Doesn't mean I don't have experience. And if you wanna to listen to me, great. If you don't, no problem. But I have a passion about food and I know I'm gonna do what it takes to change the way people view food. Right now, I kind of alluded to the fact that my olive oil brand in the current state of things is not my focus from a growth standpoint. My focus right now is on media. I am placing a big bet of my time on producing long form media content, whether it's through podcast or through a typical YouTube video. I'm, I'm, I'm figuring it out. I'm really not sure. Right now I have 37 subscribers on YouTube. I have zero listeners to this podcast. Who knows how this ages, but I'm putting my chips in on the YouTube podcast train. I'm not sure which way it might be just podcast. It might just be YouTube. I do particularly like interviewing. I tried the TikTok thing. I'm probably gonna continue doing that, but the main, almost like Mr. Beast, my main vertical is probably the slowest growth, but highest reward. I'm all in YouTube because I think that's just where the world's going. Look at where all the kids spend their time consuming media. I don't even have kids, just what I've seen. It's like YouTube, that's where you go. There's also TikTok, there's also Instagram, and I think short form will always have a life, but it's simpler to do and execute. And I think it just people are a little more interchangeable on there. YouTube is a more dedicated viewer and I want my viewer to be dedicated, almost like in a podcast. I want my message to get out there. And my message is not gonna get out there through a 30 second clip of it. The message gets out there through the 45 minutes that you're on your commute into the city from Long Island, you turn on the podcast and you listen. That is what I want my viewer to be. I just don't necessarily need to feed into the frenzy of swiping. I don't believe in it. I don't have social media on my phone for a reason. I still will use that in order to grow my channel because it's just dumb not to in the world that we live in. My focus is providing that long form media to people. Looking ahead, I'm still trying to figure out where I want to go with this. Maybe it's focus on a singular product and talking about it like dark chocolate, just a deep dive into dark chocolate. Or for me, it could be a deep dive into olive oil because I, I did that. Honestly, why not? I'm doing dark chocolate. So one thing that I want to do on this podcast is every single week, I want to try a new product and bring you through how I view that product and kind of just see my real reaction for it. If a company wants to send me a product, I'm not going to just say it's good because you sent me the product. I'm going to be honest, like Dave Portnoy reviews pizza. It's an honest review. Beyond good. I bought this product yesterday. Apparently it was founded in 2008, had several rounds of funding since. I don't really understand how it has Facebook and Instagram, like the old logos still on this label. It was $4 from Safeway. I needed to add $4 to my cart and to get my like promotion of 40% off. So I just decided like, hey, I need more dark chocolate. I'll try it. First impressions of it, Lenny the lemur. What is that? If you're Stewie on Family Guy or like you are a real character, give it a name. But like Lenny the lemur, no one cares. Like what's the difference? Um, Madagascar. I actually have had really good experiences with Madagascar chocolate. Not to say that 
Madagascar is any better than any other like chocolate producing country in the world. But I've had good experiences with it and it, I guess it stuck out or it was available, so I got it. Pure dark, 70% cocoa. I've been eating dark chocolate forever. I still don't even know what it means to be 70%. Obviously it's 70% cocoa, but like what does that actually mean? 70% relative to what? Sugar, to butter. I mean, I could look this up of course, but I'm not looking it up as I'm doing the video. I'll, someone else could comment or I'll eventually follow up on this topic. But like, I legitimately don't know what it means. Uniquely delicious chocolate with notes of red fruit. I wonder if it's true. I really hope this is good, but at the price point and the way that they advertise themselves, honestly, I went on their website. They have like a meet the farmers button. I click it and then it goes back to their original story without meeting the real farmers. They say that they're helping farmers out because they buy it directly from the farmers and produce it in their factory at Madagascar. I just question whether that is actually helping people out. I think it helps them out. First off, I don't know the story behind the company. I don't know why they have the factory. I do think for most companies, having the factory near the farm just doesn't necessarily make sense financially. And like in the end, you don't need to have your factory there to well compensate your farmers. It may have been a mistake that they're trying to play into, or it's something of a value. And like, correct me if I'm wrong, but I just don't see that value proposition as a reason why I should buy this dark chocolate. They don't even go into the 93 farmers that they mentioned. And I even doubt that 93 is the number. Like, give me a little more transparency, please. On the back, they guide you, and they also say more inside. They guide you by saying like, can you find the flavor? One, place some chocolate in your mouth. Two, slow down. You're not eating a bag of chips. I actually agree with that. It's very easy to kind of go fast through dark chocolate. But again, if it's not that good, I usually go through it fast. If it's really good, I'll eat very little at a time and kind of break it into little nibs. The first time I had those, like the nib samples, I was in Ecuador. It was uh, Republica del Cacao dark chocolate. Oh my God, so good. Take a few bites, let it melt. Agreed, don't just swallow right away. Search the back of your teeth for flavor. I think I subconsciously do that, I agree. Notice any interesting flavors. Hint, Madagascar chocolate is a variety of fruit notes. Ingredients, cocoa beans, cane sugar, cocoa butter, sunflower lecithin. I have to be honest, I don't know what cocoa butter is and I don't even know what sunflower lecithin is, but I don't really want an emulsifier in here. Again, I don't know if it's a high quality, low quality, a healthy or not healthy. I just usually want the minimum amount of ingredients possible and I've had some really high quality dark chocolates without the emulsifier. I don't even know what emulsification is, honestly. Actually, I do, I've learned. When I make sauces, I emulsify it by adding oil. So it's probably some sort of oil that's being added, but how that sunflower lecithin is being created, I don't even know how to pronounce it, lecithin. I'm not exactly sure if I want that in my chocolate. It's, I think it's a cheaper way of getting around preserving the chocolate. Single origin chocolate, pure dark from Madagascar. I understand, but is it special? We'll see. There is no harvest date. Don't know when it comes from. Just an expiration date, 315.25. Got it at Safeway. They said more inside. Transparency tastes delicious. Scan the code to learn more. We're on a mission to change the way the world experiences chocolate from the cocoa farmer to you. Scan the code. Transparency awaits. I didn't see much transparency. Ooh, the sun. I need a, one sec, I'm lowering the blind. Sorry if the lighting's better or worse. I just have to deal with the sun now. So we'll, we'll get to that. I'm um, scan the code. Transparency awaits. I'll scan the cone later. I think it's just gonna go to the website. All right, also this foil, pretty cheap way of wrapping the chocolate. In bulk, great for a Safeway chocolate, okay. But like the best chocolate brands do not use this foil. The bar itself is just blocks. No creativity to it, no design. It's very simple, mass produced. It smells like Trader Joe's dark chocolate with a hint of fruitiness. 
I wonder how it's supposed to be. But they could have designed this a little better. Come on. Time to try it. I'm going to be honest, way better than I expected. That is decent chocolate. It's not elite. It's probably like a 7.2 out of 10, but it's good chocolate for the price. I'll admit that. You get the fruity flavor. I totally see it. It's a great bite. Like I, I really feel that. And honestly, beyond good, not bad. Good chocolate. I don't love the branding, but chocolate's not bad. It's a little too sweet for me, which is fine. Because it's such a fruity chocolate, they could have gotten away with probably a 75 or an 80%. It is very sweet, but I'd eat it, I'd eat it over Duradelli for sure. Probably eat it over Trader Joe's also. It's a good chocolate. I don't know how much I ate there. Probably a lot. I haven't had breakfast, so I was pretty hungry. Have some water. But like olive oil, like I give you the, the flavor breakdown. I don't know what it is for chocolate and I don't know what it is for most foods. I guess I could look it up and try to research that. But at the same time, is it good or is it not? I'll tell you if it's good. This beyond good is better than a lot of the chocolates I found in the supermarket. And for the price of $4, not bad, really. A little more. Again, it's not elite, but it's a good price. $4 for this, good price. All right, we're now 29 minutes in. I would assume 15 minutes of usable content. I'll just take you where I am. So yeah, I said 37 subscribers. February 13th, I am going to Asia with a friend. When he hears this, he's gonna laugh, but I didn't wanna go to Asia until May. I wanted my video editing and video recording capabilities to be higher and kind of like a better system to be in place. And also my rent cycle ends in May, so I wanted to go when I wasn't paying rent, so I didn't feel obligated to come back. But over that, the opportunity to go with a friend is priceless. Because I know deep down that I'm not going to be able to convince him to go in May. I know that I would be able to be convinced to go in February because I did Europe alone for 50 days. And I'm like, I want to do this with people. I don't need to literally go to every farm that I visit with people, but I want to go. If he wanted to go in February, I'm going to follow that momentum and take the trip and just deal with the fact that I'm paying rent at the same time. I know I could afford it. So I'm going to go. And that I think should be a turning point for the content that I create. You saw when I went to Joe Stone Crab, if you happen to, if you didn't watch the video, I recorded it and cut off my whole face, which I was really annoyed about. People gave, I was like, can you give feedback in the video? They're like, yeah, don't film with your face cut off. I'm like, you think I didn't realize that when I was editing for the past four days? Anyway, I want to do videos like that. It's finding something that you usually consume without really thinking twice about it and then diving that next level deep that you didn't expect the content to go and play into that and bring it back to the original product, which I think is really important. So I'm, I'm going to Japan and I plan on going to a ton of food facilities taking a ton of footage and making videos out of it because videos are fun and also it's the closest way I can bring people to Japan. If I were to think just of my grandparents, they're never gonna go to Japan in their lifetime. But if I go to Japan, make a video that includes a certain factory that I went to or a certain person I spoke with and then relate it back to them, I actually feel that I'm sort of bringing them to Japan and doing a good 
thing for them. And I think I could carry that to a wide array of people, whether it's a 15 year old kid in high school that obviously can't leave high school for a three week period, or a 25 year old like me that's sitting in an investment bank and miserable, but making a lot of money, but wants to see what, what else is going on in the world. Or if they're 45, I'll have a target market per se, but it's not that calculated right now. Like the calculation is, I know there's a content gap, I wanna fill it, and I wanna educate people in an entertaining fashion. As regards to just the why behind food. When you eat wasabi at a sushi restaurant, like what actually is that? What is the highest quality version of that? What is the lowest quality version of it? And what are you getting? Like that to me is everything. I did it with olive oil partially, but I'm trying to like lean away a little from just sticking with olive oil and opening it up to many different food categories. And then the focus is filling the content gap, which is fine. Unfortunately, if I focus on many different lines of food, I will have a little bit less knowledge about each specific line because again for olive oil I spent months figuring out talking to producers and like you get the ultra ultra minutia but a lot of those ultra minutia that process carries to many other lines of food I did balsamic vinegar for two days I felt like I was already in understanding what balsamic vinegar is I have some video content on that that I never released maybe I will maybe I won't maybe I'll do a deep dive into balsamic and Go to Modena, where like balsamic is originated and spend a couple weeks there and make a ton of content because I feel I'm uniquely positioned to do that. And that's where I want to spend my time for the future, per se. Like I, I want to go to these places. I'm starting with Japan, going to go to farms, going to go to manufacturing facilities. Honestly, if anyone has any recommendations, I'm happy to hear them. Like give them to me, please. It's not only where my passion lies, it's also something that I think people need to see. It's really important. I mean, there are certain things that maybe people don't need to see. I don't think people should see the slaughtering of animals. They don't need to see that, but I need to see that. Like I need to see the whole process. If I'm educating, especially without like a formal education, myself, I need to see what actually is going on so I can convey a proper message to people about this stuff. For me to talk about animal rights and never being a farmer and never seeing a slaughterhouse and never seeing how animals are actually treated in either factory farms or in like the most pasture raised chicken that you could get. Like, I don't really know the difference. I see it through what brands tell me through videos that I watch uh, behind my desk, but like, I gotta go to the farm to understand that if I really wanna communicate that message to people. Same goes for dark chocolate. I was confident communicating that message, at least partially for olive oil because I went to facilities and I did so much background research for stone crabs. If you look at my Joe stone crab video, like I went to the stone crab facility before I made the video because, I mean, I was making the video as I was going, but like I had to see what it was like. It was such a cool tour of the behind the scenes also. I just, they didn't let me do it. I think next time I gotta negotiate a better way to convince them but we gotta make this video and give it to the public. It's good publicity for you too. I just didn't do that, but we'll, we'll learn. But yeah, it's really bringing you to where your food comes from. It's just so important. Look, our society has changed. I think Jeff Bezos said this best. He said this on the Lex Friedman podcast, how humans evolve with technology and that argument could not be applied better to food because if it was 500 years ago, how are you getting your food? Honestly, think about it for a second. All right, that second's up. Give it a pause if you feel like you wanna think about it more. 500 years ago. Well, if you lived in a city, or I don't even know if you could call it a city, but you had a town center. Well, if you wanted a banana and you were located in England, good luck. I don't actually know if the banana trade hits England, but the point is bananas have a pretty short shelf life when they come off the tree, especially then. The Chiquita banana we eat, that breed of banana was not produced 
at a mass scale 500 years ago. It was discovered to work best with the supply chain that we have. And then farmers started to push that out there because that lasts longer in transit than those little mini bananas that you'd find when you actually go to Ecuador or go to a banana growing country. And they also taste so good, by the way. But like those bananas aren't making it. So a lot of times your food comes from your local environment, your local dairy farm, because the dairy that comes from 700 miles away can't be preserved over that 700 mile journey by horse. There's no air conditioning. There's no cars. You need to get it from local. Otherwise it's spoiled. So people had such a deep relationship with the food that they were consuming back then, which is honestly amazing. But fast forward to now, when we have the refrigeration capabilities, when we have transportation capabilities, and when we have just a very complex supply chain, there could be a farmer in Australia that makes milk and it could easily get here. It's not hard. You just gotta keep it refrigerated. We got everything that you need in plentifulness to get that product here. Australian milk, the price of that, unfortunately, likely won't make sense for a consumer in America to consume just because the price of getting that milk to here versus having an American milk because there's plenty of cattle throughout the Midwest that supply milk for the country. You don't need to go to Australia. But my point being that didn't exist a while back. We could go to the supermarket now. We could go to DoorDash now and you could buy any product you want and the quality is going to be like here. The good quality stuff's here. This is where base level quality is. This is where most products live. There's this huge quality gap that in wine people care about and certain alcohols people try to care about in foods like caviar when they're paying a lot of money they might care about it. But it's important because that's where society is going. If you were at the farmer's market, you'd understand that's where if you're growing a pepper, the pepper at the farmer's market tastes better than the pepper at the supermarket a lot of the time. Unless of course they're scamming you and they're getting supermarket quality peppers and selling it at the farmer's market and saying, ooh, it's farmer's market quality peppers. BS. The way that we view food now is you go on Instagram and you see an ice cream and you see olive oil on it. That oil could be 100% rancid, but the fact that it's olive oil and looks cool makes you want to consume it. And we have the means to get that oil very quickly at a very low price and replicate exactly what we saw, eat it, and, and think that it's good. That's the mess up world we live in. But to me, the quality of the food is so much more important than the aesthetics of it just being olive oil on ice cream. Like go to Cafe Pana. They do olive oil and ice cream very well. At least the oil that I have plus their ice cream was like, a game changer. Their ice cream is fantastic. Look, I just see so many examples of us wanting to eat a specific type of food, but not actually knowing anything about that food. It's like, I just want the foie gras, but that foie gras could come from a factory farm duck. The foie gras first off could be really low quality and you just taste it and you're like, whoa, it's foie gras, it's amazing. But like, there are many levels to the foie gras. Just like there are levels to everything, just like there's levels to tuna, to salmon. We just don't, a lot of the times, internalize those levels. And unfortunately, when we go to restaurants, their incentive is to give us the cheapest quality product possible and make it taste as good as possible and sell it to you so they could fulfill their margins. A Michelin star restaurant would actually care about the ingredients, but they also are charging a gazillion dollars. So it's finding that in-between stage, how could you start caring about that product a little more? I think it's important, personally. Maybe it's not talking about it, maybe it's actually showing you. I'm discovering it as we do this.